verse 10, Matthew 6, verse 10. Let's look at the Lord's Prayer. Again, this is uh, not how we have to pray every time we pray. This is a pattern for prayer. And, and again, I would remind you of the plurals there. Um, your, uh, sorry, give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us, um, our Father, okay, that it's a plural. So there has to be a sense in which the body of Christ was gathering together. Was being um, so let's read it together. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Last week, the message, the, the entirety of the message was uh, your kingdom come. And it's the first part of what I want to address with respect to your kingdom come. To pray your kingdom come is to pray for the return of Christ and the righteous rule of his kingdom, that we long for the return of Christ and all that that means uh, for us. I had this quote there at the end, the reign of Christ is the reign of a true king, one who demands allegiance, one who will disrupt the order of our lives, one who will call us to abandon our own pursuits for the sake of his. Thus, when we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying something incredibly dangerous because it imperils our comfort and devalues our ease. By praying your kingdom come, Jesus teaches us that we are ultimately meant to value God's agenda, not our own, by making God's kingdom paramount in our hearts. We are setting aside our own paltry attempts at personal glory to pursue the glory of King Jesus. And really, that last sentence really kind of epitomizes uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The last week we looked at that concept of Jesus Christ returning to establish his kingdom. Again, I realize that many people differ on what they think the kingdom means. Okay, I personally believe the kingdom means a thousand-year reign of Christ when he returns. Some people would say the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, is simply the eternal state. That when Christ returns, that we're kind of we're in the millennium right now, and that when Christ returns, he'll usher in the eternal kingdom. That's the kingdom of heaven. And so. I don't want you to get caught up in that. I want you to just focus on the return of Christ and what that means for us. And this was important to the early believers. So after Christ has been on earth for 40 days, after his resurrection, and this text says after his suffering, right before he ascends, he's having this conversation with his followers. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So it's interesting here, I think, you know, he didn't say, okay, this is the gospel, I died for your sins, I rose from the dead. Okay, I was buried and I rose from the dead. He, he didn't say, this is the gospel, he says, he talked about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for my gift, wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And so it's very clear here that in the minds of those who had been following Jesus and were with him after the resurrection and heard his teachings, that they weren't just looking for a spiritual kingdom. They were looking for a literal kingdom for Israel. And that's why this is one of the texts that I go to to kind of 
support my thought that there is a literal millennial kingdom uh, and that the, the, you know, ethnic Jews will play a, a big part in that. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. He didn't correct them. He just said, you just, you just don't, aren't supposed to know the time. It's not, it's not up to you. It's not up to me right now. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all the ends, in Judea and Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. After they said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same, this same Jesus who has been taken from you in heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So from that moment on, looking forward to the glorious appearing, that blessed hope that Christ is going to return, and he's going to establish his kingdom. That's why the cry of the church was, Come, Lord, Maranatha, come quickly. Please come, Lord. And that's why we look forward to, as I mentioned last week, what Revelation 11 says, that the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, of this world. And he will reign forever and ever. So as we consider this concept of the kingdom of God, and I, I tweaked this a little bit, I had the presence of Jesus, or wherever Jesus is, the kingdom is. And I call that the immediate, okay, wherever he is, it is the kingdom because he is the king. We have looked at last week, what we're praying for is this not yet. We're living in the not yet. Come, Lord, please, we're looking up, waiting for Christ to return. But I do believe, and this is where I would get into a lot of trouble with my seminary props, that there is an already of the kingdom. That there is the kingdom in our hearts. And I'll give you some scripture in just a second uh, that references that. So as we consider this kingdom, Jesus spoke very clearly of people entering into the kingdom now. Is there a kingdom coming? Yes. But are people entering into the kingdom now? Yes. So how can I be a part of the kingdom? Well, you have to become as a child, Jesus says. In Matthew 19, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Right? And so he's talking about the faith that you have to have to be a part of this kingdom. You have to have the faith of a child. You have to be like a child. There's a lot going to be said about this text, but there has to be some type of change within you to enter into the kingdom, right? In John chapter 3, we've gone to this passage many times, as Nicodemus came to Jesus in the night under the cover of darkness, wanting to know, he didn't say this outright, okay? Jesus knew what he was thinking. Nicodemus came to Jesus saying, you must be sent from God, because look at all the miracles you're performing. Look at your, listen to your teachings. Tell us, you know, are you from God? And Jesus cut through and says, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. There has to be some kind of radical change within you if you're to enter the kingdom. The new birth, being born again, involves radical restructuring of desires. That's what's going on in the new birth, right? We're, we're given the ability to understand the truth of God. We're illuminated, right? We're regenerated, okay? But that regeneration works at the area of our heart, and it changes our desires. See, the problem is beforehand, our desires were focused on self, away from King Jesus. The new birth 
changes, begins to change our desires. It gives us the capacity to, to submit to King Jesus and his kingdom and all that he desires for us. So, uh, you know, I like, I like doing, you know, pictures because this is how I think. When I study, I draw things out, right? And so this is what God's design. God's design for Adam and Eve was that their desires would be focused towards him. We went through this before already that when our desires are focused towards God and his glory, our desires pursue the right end and they maximize joy and happiness and satisfaction. But it goes through Jesus as king. The problem is with the wickedness of our heart, and this is, this is how we're born. We're born with a proclivity, a affection towards self, not towards God. We want what we want. We want to create our own kingdom and that kingdom may be temp- bring temporary happiness, but it is a path to destruction. There is a way that seems right to a man. The end is death. And so Colossians 1 talks about this dominion of darkness wherein those apart from Christ live, where their affections and their desires are turned towards self, and the road is to destruction. It's the dominion of darkness. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, that place where we are blinded to the truth, we're darkened in our understanding, we're hostile towards God's rule, we're in self-willed rebellion, we're building our own kingdom. We are the king, we are the master of our fate. That's a bad situation because the end is destruction. And Satan's pretty good about making that darkness look good. But, praise be to God, he doesn't leave us in that, right? At the beginning of that verse, he has rescued us. He has brought us. We are enslaved to sin in this dominion of darkness. We are blinded. But Christ, in his great love, rescues us out of the darkness and brings us into the kingdom, his kingdom. In this text, it's the kingdom of the Son that he loves And so the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in his work alone for salvation, believing that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead, and that you're turning from works that lead to death to Jesus, to God, that you're repenting of your sins, you are brought into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. There is a spiritual transference. You are taken from one kingdom to another. There's a new reality You are in the kingdom. As Paul says in Philippians 3, your citizenship is now in heaven. So there is an already. It's not just Maranatha. It's Christ is living within you, the hope of glory, and where Christ is, the kingdom is. There's an already. And this is what we want. This is what the new birth brings. This is what transference into this kingdom brings to us. It reorients our desires. We turn from creating our own kingdom to serving the king and what the king desires for his kingdom. Jesus rules as king. And so to enter the kingdom, you must be born again, submitting your will to the will of the king, Jesus, right? 
The very act of, of, of salvation, right? Paul describes this in Romans chapter 10, is to declare with your mouth that what? Jesus Christ is king, that he is Lord. And if you believe in your heart that, that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth that you profess your faith and you are saved. So this is the prayer of salvation. Now, I'm not trying to make this mechanical, that if you say these words, it's not like shahada, like if you just say that, you're saved. No, it's, there is in your heart, God, I have sinned against you. I have been king of my life. I've been creating my own kingdom. I have despised your will. I have gone my own way because I want to seek my own desires. God, I am turning from that, trusting in Jesus Christ for my salvation. Save me. To pray your kingdom come is to pray that Christ's reign and rule would be realized in our hearts and others' others' hearts through the new birth. Again, Al Mohler says this, The reign of Christ is the reign of a true king, one who demands allegiance, one who will disrupt the order of our lives, one who will call us to abandon our pursuits for the sake of his. Thus, when we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying something incredibly dangerous because it imperils our comfort. It devalues our ease. By praying your kingdom come, Jesus teaches us that we are ultimately meant to value God's agenda, not our own. By making God's kingdom paramount in our hearts, we are setting aside our own paltry attempts at personal glory to pursue the glory of King Jesus. I like repetition. Jay said that twice because it's important. We are setting aside our own paltry attempts at personal glory to pursue the glory of King Jesus for that already kingdom. So we're caught between the already and the not yet. And so in the not yet, we're like, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. But as we wait for, your, for you to come, we want your will to be done here on earth as it's done in heaven. May my life be an outpost of heaven here on earth. May this church be an outpost of heaven here on earth, a place where God's will is done instantaneously, completely, as it's done in heaven. So what does it mean when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? I just said it, but you know, I can't leave it there, right? So we have to look at God's will. Your will be done. God's will. When we look at God's will, some people divide God's will up into three different aspects. I have two here to make it a little more simple because I'm simple-minded. So we have God's decreed will, and we have God's desired will. So let's look at each of these because when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we need to know exactly what we're praying for. The Westminster Shorter Catechism talks about God's decreed will like this. What are the decrees of God? The decrees, the decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. Right, they wrote it in King James there. He hath, he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. God has decreed in eternity past all that will happen. Now there's... Issues you have to work through with that, granted, but we have to submit to scriptures. Isaiah 46 is a place I like to go when I talk about God's decreed will. 
Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning. I've determined the end already. It's not that God looks down the corridors of time and sees all the decisions that people will make, and he reacts to them as their little kingdoms kind of progress, and he kind of has to react to that, and then he knows what they're going to do, and he makes things work out the way he wants them to work out. In that scenario, God is not God. We have millions of little gods doing their own thing, and God is responding to their work. God has ordained in eternity past what will come come to pass. In past, what will come to pass. I will make known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. And here he's talking about calling King Cyrus. It's an amazing, amazing uh, passage of Scripture. Ephesians 1, 11, you may be familiar with this. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Everything is a pretty inclusive word. He works out everything according to his purpose, his eternal decree. Just two verses of many that I could put on the table for us to understand God's decreed will. But also God has a desired will or a revealed will. His decreed will could be called his efficacious will. It's going it's to work out as well. His desired will, his revealed will, is what we find in the Scriptures. It's God's commands in Scripture. God has revealed himself to us. That's his desired will. Now, sometimes there is some overlap, okay? But we're focusing here on the commands of God. And we find that throughout Scripture. We don't have to wonder what God's will is. We don't have to, you know, lay out a fleece doing any kind of special, you know, fasting or, you know, to, what is your will, God? God has made his will clear to us. Are there times we have to search and pr- seek and pray and try to discern best God's will? Of course, yeah. I mean, that's important. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about simply God's revealed will. We see this throughout scriptures. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God desires everybody to be saved. God is willing that nobody would perish. He wants everybody to be saved. But is everybody saved? No. Not everybody's saved. He desires that. That's his desired will. We see other places. 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for what? That is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn how to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passion or lust like the pagans who do not know God. God has commanded, he's declared his, he's revealed his will for us. Now, we don't know everything God's going to do. The secret things belong to the Lord, okay? There are secret things belong to God. But your job is to obey what you know, Deuteronomy 29, 29. What's been revealed to you. So all the commands and the prohibitions in Scripture are God's will of desire. So to pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is to pray that Jesus' lordship in our lives and in the world will be realized through obedience to God's commands. 
God, may you be obeyed. May people hallow your name in such a way that we obey your commands, not because you're some kind of cosmic ogre who tries to control everything, because you know how we function best. And when you give commands, it's so that we will maximize our joy and our happiness and our fulfillment in our existence. The commands of God are for our good. And doesn't sin try to convince us to the contrary? Somehow we, we're just so convinced that God's trying to keep us from things that are going to make us so happy. That's the path that leads to destruction. seems right in our eyes. The end is death. God wants his will to be done here on earth as it's done in heaven because that is righteousness, that righteousness that we long for. J.I. Packer says this, Here more clearly than anywhere the purpose of prayer becomes plain. Not to make God do my will, which is practicing magic. I'm going to pray and see if I can convince God to do what I want him to do. As I've said before, prayer is not cosmic arm twisting. No, it's to bring my will into line with his. And again, Albert Moeller, praying your will be done on earth as it is in heaven also reorients our own sense of personal autonomy and our sense of control over our own lives and situations. This petition causes us to forfeit all our personal claims of lordship and sovereignty over our lives. Your kingdom come, your will be done, God. Because your will is right. It is perfect. We want our lives, again, to be an outpost of heaven here on earth as we submit our will to the lordship of Jesus Christ in obedience to his commands. And friends, that is, that is the same thing as salvation. You don't get salvation apart from Jesus Christ being lord of your life. You don't get salvation apart from you submitting yourself to Jesus Christ as Lord. To preach to the contrary is to preach a lie from hell. And I mean that as serious as I make it sound. There are far too many people walking around thinking they're saved because they prayed some quick prayer and their lives in no way demonstrate that Jesus Christ is Lord. And they're confused and they're deceived and they think that they're on the path that leads to eternal life into the kingdom and they're not. May God never let us as a church preach the gospel that way. So how do I live in light of what I'm praying? One, and I'm going to have to fly through these, okay? Go fast. I don't know why the three is up there. But it's up there. How am I going to live in light of what I'm praying? Well, live scripturally. Now, I've tried to bring in the word kingdom or his appearing into these examples. How am I going to live in light of the fact that I'm praying for Jesus' kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as is in heaven? So I'm trying to bring in his kingdom and his appearing at a time when his kingdom is going to come, is going to be realized or consummated, right? So Paul writing to Timothy trying to encourage him as a pastor, and I take this as an exhortation to me as a pastor, and you guys should as well, in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead in view of his appearing, in view of the fact that he is going to appear, and his appearance means the kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. Don't tell good stories and nice anecdotes Things that pass the time for people, so on the way out, they're like, oh, good one. No, 
the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. That means when you hear the word of God preached, you submit to the word of God, not to me. You're being corrected, rebuked, and encouraged. And he goes on to say, not having your ears tickled like some like. No, in view of his appearing in his kingdom, submit to the word of God. Live scriptural lives, but also live intentionally, right? We're going to see this soon. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all those things that you need that your loving Heavenly Father is not going to withhold from you, will be given to you. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. I also think we need to live evangelistically. Right? This is a prayer of evangelism. Your kingdom come. I want God's kingdom to be realized in the hearts of people as they are transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the Son that He loves. I want them to be born again, right? And Jesus talks about this kingdom in his kingdom parables in Matthew chapter 13, beginning with the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds and the tares, and then he talks about the, the kingdom of heaven being like a mustard seed. Mustard seed, you, can almost, you almost can't even see it. It's small. When you think about the beginning of Christianity, one man, 12 rickety-rackety followers with problems and issues. He transformed the world through one message and 12 men. I said three. 12 men. So what does that say about us in Hamtramck? It starts out small and imperceptible. Yet it grows, flourishes, blossoms. He told another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of seeds, when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants. It becomes a tree. Grows. I want us to live evangelistically in Hamtramck. Never underestimate the power of one life controlled by the Holy Spirit with the message of the gospel. That would be you. That's you. Don't diminish your part in the kingdom. Live hopefully. I think Sam finishes his second, you finish your second, your message with this, right? In Titus, in view of his, his appearing, right? His grace has appeared to us, right? And this is the second part of this. This grace that has appeared teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a, a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. What? The appearing of the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The appearing of the kingdom. And I love the deity here of Christ. The appearing of our great God and Savior. Who's God and who's Savior? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Live holy lives. Live holy lives. First John 3. Dear friends, now we are children of God and we know... It's this is so funny. Every time I read this verse, I cannot get through it without stuttering. I don't know why the way it's written. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, when his kingdom comes, we're going to be like him. You no longer struggle with all these sin struggles that you have. 
You'll be transformed completely and fully into his likeness. Who wants to wake up and not struggle with sin? Amen? Yeah, I'm there. We'll be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him, what? Purify themselves. Just as he is pure. I want to live expectantly as well, right? Knowing that we're going to receive rewards for our faithful service to Christ here on this earth. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will roar to me on that day. What's that day? That's the return of Christ. It's his appearing. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do you long for the appearing of Christ? I, I get, you know, I remember when I was young, before I was married, like, Jesus, I want you to come back, but man, I want to get married first, right? <laughs> I remember those days. Now I'm like, Lord, I go to sleep, take me if you want to, right? I'm ready to go. Well, we, we, we wait expectantly, knowing that we're going to be rewarded. This, this, this righteousness, right? This crown of righteousness, and the question is, is it is, is the crown which is righteousness? Or is it a crown for the righteous? Okay, and I, and I think it's, it's for those of us who we, we've lived faithfully according to the Scriptures, we've, we've tried to follow Jesus, and Scripture is clear there's going to be reward. We look forward to that day where we'll be rewarded. Lastly, I want to live confidently. And this is really important, right? Because in 2 Peter chapter 3, people had lied. To, there were false prophets who come and said, and, Jesus, and they taught the people, hey, you're waiting for Jesus to come, right? Those angels said he's going to return just as he left. You're waiting and waiting and waiting, and he hasn't showed up yet. Where is he? How come he hasn't returned yet? And Peter launches into this diatribe. He says, look, in the days of Noah, Noah was predicting a flood, and everybody laughed in his face for all those years that he was building the ark. It's like, where's the water, Noah? Guess what? The water came, and just like the water came, Jesus is going to come. And just like Noah was protected in that ark, he was safe and secure. His salvation was secured by God in that ark. Your salvation is secure. Your place in the kingdom is secure because that kingdom cannot be shaken. Therefore, since we're receiving what? A kingdom that cannot be shaken. So if you're going to take it just as spiritually, like, okay, Christ's kingdom, you're fine. It's not going to be shaken. Nobody's going to take you from Christ. There's nothing that is going to separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing is going to separate you from God. We live confidently because we're going to receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The assurance of our salvation, the confidence that we have in our salvation, the security that we have in our, our salvation doesn't mean we can live however we want to live. No. You live a righteous and holy life with Jesus Christ as king. And though you may fail, you confess your sin, you get up and you keep moving. And in your failure, though you hate it, you realize that your salvation is not dependent upon your action, but the action of Christ on the cross. That's why your kingdom cannot be shaken. When I think about this kingdom, I always think about Jesus' words in John chapter 14. 
when he says, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. Like, wow. <laughs> like, really? A place? You're going to prepare that for us? And again, I quote the, the Steve Green song that I used to love so much. I can't wait to get to heaven, right? In six days, you created everything, but you've been working on heaven 2,000 years. It's got to be an awesome place. And it's not going to be shaken. So we long for that day when the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. So as we conclude, to pray your kingdom come is to pray for the return of Christ and the righteous rule of his kingdom. To pray your kingdom come is to pray that Christ's reign and rule be realized in our hearts and others through the new birth. To pray your will be done as it is in heaven is to pray that Jesus' lordship in our lives and in the world would be realized through obedience to God's commands. Amen? All right. So we're going to sing, Joy Has Dawned Upon the World. This is a great song by the Gettys. Let's pray, and the, the, the music team will come up and lead us in this song. Father, we thank you for the fact that Christ is going to return. In the meantime, Lord, I pray that um, your will be done here on earth as is done in heaven for your glory, that your name would be hallowed, that your name would be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.